It's good to see you guys. It's, it's just an honor and a privilege to be back here again to share with you. And, and we are going to be in Ezra chapter 6 this morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Ezra chapter 6. It's conveniently located between chapter 5 and chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there are some, some, some men and women walking through the aisles right now that would love to hand you a Bible. Just lift up your hand high where they can see it, and they will get a Bible into your hands. And then you can go to Ezra chapter 6. I know it's already been said, but I just want to say to all of you fathers in the room, happy Father's Day from me to you. We are so thankful that not only are you doing the best you can by God's grace and God's spirit to lead your family in Jesus. We see that because you're here. You know, it's, a, it's kind of a secret in church life that you've got Easter, which is the church service of the year, right? That's when everybody and their brother comes to church. People that haven't been since Christmas show up at Easter. The other end of that spectrum is usually Father's Day. Because Father's Day is a low attendance Sunday because some fathers say, hey, I go with you every single week. It is Father's Day. The U.S. Open is on. Leave me alone. But you're here, so I am thankful for you. We're thankful for you here at this church. God bless you men, you fathers here today. It was a special week for me as a father. I I spent the week driving to Arkansas to reconnect with my father that I hadn't seen in 29 years. And uh, there's a long story behind that we just don't have time for because that VBS video was awesome, but it was long. So <laughs> it was awesome to see what Jesus can do. Jesus can do all kinds of things. I also wanted to thank you. Many of you were praying for me this last year. I was one of those pastors that uh, you were praying for that had cancer. I had stage four lymphoma diagnosed uh, a year ago in May, so a year and a month ago. And uh, I am completely through that now, completely healthy and uh, excited for what Jesus wants to do. And so we are in Ezra chapter six. Now the problem with a guest speaker. I know that Pastor Ted has been going through the book of Luke and you go to this church or a church, the reason you go to a church like this is you love it. You just go to one chapter and the next week it's not gonna be whatever is on Pastor Ted's heart. It is the next chapter. It's the next section. It's why we love Bible teaching churches. But then some guest speaker shows up and he just drops you in the middle of the Bible somewhere and you can feel like you're lost in the jungle. So Before we read Ezra 6, the last few verses, starting in verse 19, understand what the book of Ezra is. The book of Ezra is the story of 50,000 Jews returning from their captivity in Persia. King Cyrus gives them the opportunity to leave their captivity, to go back to the city of Jerusalem and rebuild their temple again. And this is the story of 50,000 Jews who said, I'll go, I'll leave my, 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 my well-established home, my well-established business, and I will go to see what God wants to do in my life. And by the time we get here to chapter 6, the battles have been won, the temple has been rebuilt, and revival is about to break out in their lives. So look at me if you would. Ezra chapter 6, starting in verse 19. It says, And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. 
For the priest and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean. And they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity and for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Then the children of Israel, who had returned from their captivity, ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Father, as we take a few minutes this morning to continue our worship, we have worshiped you in song, we have worshiped you in giving, but now we want to worship you by giving attention to your word. And so I pray that it wouldn't be my words, but it would be your words speaking to our hearts, meeting us right where we're at this morning. We, of course, want to pray for Pastor Ted and Brenda and the team that is over there in Ireland. May you bless them. May you you use them just to see amazing things happen in that country. And we also pray that you would do the same thing half a world away here this morning. God, would you speak to our hearts? Would you revive our hearts, we pray? In Jesus' name, amen. We are watching the children of Israel return to Jerusalem. We are seeing them rebuild their temple. We are seeing them begin to sacrifice again. It had been about a hundred years since sacrifices had been offered in the city of Jerusalem. They're getting back to the Lord. In other words, what we're reading about here in Ezra chapter 6 is revival. Real, genuine revival happening in their lives. We use that term a lot in the church world, but what does it really mean? You can look up the word revival in the dictionary and Webster's Dictionary has three definitions that'll be up there on the screen. It says, number one, an an improvement in the condition of something. Sometimes we, we get sick and so we start to decide to eat better and there's a revival of health in our lives. That's definition number one. Number two, it says something becoming important or popular again. There's a revival of fashion. You know, I see people wearing jean jackets. Jean jackets were cool when I was 10. And then they weren't cool for a long time. But if you got a jean jacket on today, you are styling, friend, because there has been a revival in the popularity of jean jackets. Then there's the third definition, the one we think of so often in the church, and that is a reawakening of religious fervor. And those three definitions really fit what we see happening in Ezra chapter 6. The people are improving in their walks with the Lord. Following God is becoming more important again to them. Their love and obedience of God, there's a reawakening. All of those things are happening. And when we think about revival, it's what we want to see in our lives as well. Some of us can remember the moment when we started walking with the Lord. We, we, we couldn't believe, do you remember? You couldn't believe that God would love a sinner like you. 
that he would love someone so completely and that he had done away with all of your guilt and your sin and your shame and you were in love with Jesus. Do you remember? You couldn't wait to get to church and hear from God from a pastor's sermon or to open up the Bible and read it on your own. You couldn't wait for worship to begin so you could lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise, praise the Lord. But then as the years go by, in many of our lives, there's often a lessening of the excitement of it all. Sermons become routine. Of course, at other churches you used to go to. Not, not Pastor Ted's sermons. Not Pastor Jason's sermons. Other guys' sermons start to get routine. Worship becomes simply music. And our prayer life suffers as sin begins to have a stronghold upon us. And then we hear the word revival. Sometimes we see it at a church down the street. and They've got a sign outside that says, come with us this weekend, special speaker, special music. There is going to be revival. Or you see a book with that title or a podcast with that topic. And we're drawn to it because our heart knows that we need it. But oftentimes man's definition of revival is much different than God's definition of revival. Man's definition of revival is often an emotional excitement. Let's get amped up about Jesus again. And so often, man ignores the role of the Holy Spirit in revival. And so when we're focusing on emotion and not obedience, when we're focusing on hype instead of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, what often happens is we come to the end of the weekend of revival or we come to the end of the book or we come to the end of a podcast and we are just as searching as we ever were. But here in our text today, in Ezra chapter six, we see real revival. And I wanna take the remainder of the time I have left for us to consider what were the elements that made this revival real. Not just so we can put a few things in a notebook today. That's great. It's great to learn the word of God, but that we can put these things into our lives that real, genuine revival might happen in us as well. So what do we see in the text that's in front of us today? Please bring your attention back to verse 21 of Ezra chapter six. Verse 21 says, Then the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity, ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. What were the elements of their revival? I encourage you to write them down if you're one that does that. At the very least, pray them through, think them in today. What do we see? Number one, they left their captivity. Where did revival begin for the people of God in Ezra's day? It started with a decision to return from their captivity. As I said in the introduction, the story of the book of Ezra is the story of 50,000 Jews returning from captivity in Persia. And, And when we often hear that, if we don't know our Old Testament well, we can kind of think that that was all the Jews that every Jew came back from Persia and every Jew was experiencing revival. Christian, that's not the truth at all. What we know historically is though 50,000 almost, 50,000 Jews returned in the book of Ezra, 
two to three million Jews stayed in Persia. And, 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 and we're not going to get into their story. That's the book of Esther. But I'm going to give you a little preview. Very few of them ever experienced revival. The revival came from those that made the decision, I am done with being a captive. I am done with being in this captive life. For some of them, it was a comfortable captivity. They had homes. They had businesses. They had friends. But for this group, they decided, I am done being someone else's slave. I want what God wants for me. And hear me, church. Revival will never come in our lives as long as we choose to remain captive to sin and rebellion. God doesn't want you to be a captive ever again. That's what Paul the Apostle spoke to the Galatian believers when he said, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Paul is saying Christ by his death, by the forgiveness purchased with his blood, Jesus has made us free. Isn't that good news? Can we pretend that we're Pentecostal for just a minute here today? Isn't that good news, church? Jesus has made us free. He has washed away our sin. What a great truth. You might think, I can never be free from my captivity. That is a lie from the pit of hell. For Ephesians 4 says, when he, that's Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive. When Jesus rose from the grave and had victory over sin and death, he led you that were captive to sin into freedom. He died to set you free. Do you hear me on that? Because the reality is maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus. You come to church, you listen respectfully, but inside nothing has ever changed. You are still a captive to sin and rebellion and yet your heart longs for something more. Friend, that something more begins when you allow Jesus to capture your captive heart when he by his love and his blood and his forgiveness leads your captive heart free and maybe for a few of you today is the day to surrender your life to Jesus. For some of you though, that was probably years ago. It was at a Billy Graham crusade, a harvest crusade, maybe in this church. But what happens sometimes is the time rolls on We allow ourselves to get back into old bondages that used to hold you. And don't misunderstand me. You're saved. You're going to heaven. But your life is still in bondage. And the same truth that is true for the the man or the woman that's never surrendered their heart is true for you as well. You will never experience revival as long as you choose to remain in bondage to sin and rebellion. And today is the day for you to surrender again to Jesus and come out of that captivity by the power of Jesus Christ. Today is the day for revival to take hold in your life. 
However it starts, it will always start by choosing to come out of, of, of bondage to, to, to sin and rebellion. But that's not where it ends. Secondly, write it down, pray it in, think it through. Number two we see in the text there, they separated from the filth of the world. Not only did these 50,000 Jews choose to leave their captivity, but then they made a decision, another decision, to separate from the filth of the world. What does that mean? Well, the word separate there is the Hebrew word badel, and it means to sever, to make a distinction. To make a distinction from what? From filth, which is the Hebrew word toma, which means that which is unclean, that which defiles. It's the toma, not, not, a, not a tuma, like the great theologian Arnold Schwarzenegger once said, it's not a tuma. That's right, Arnold. It's not a tuma, it's a toma. And toma means filth. It means that which defiles. And church, though, though coming out of our captivity is a one-time thing that we do. Oh, it does need to be revisited on occasion when we get ourselves back into bondage again. But it's a one-time thing that God is doing but to sever from the flesh which defiles. Church, that's a daily decision all of us have to make. Oh, not me, Pastor Jason. I've been walking with God for 50 years. Well, congratulations. But let me tell you something that other people know that maybe you don't. You still have sin. You still have sin. No matter how godly and sweet and amazing you are, no matter how long you've been in full-time ministry, you still have sin. The reality is, you got skin, you got sin. That's how it works. All of us have sin and rebellion, and all of us need to let the Holy Spirit identify some of these things that we can surrender them to him today. You see, sometimes, not in this church, because I know you're a well-taught church, but in some churches, there's this idea, don't preach like that, because we are saved by grace, brother, I'm saved by grace, don't you judge me. I can live any way I want, do anything I want, because I'm saved by grace. That is not what grace means. Listen, I believe, I am so thankful for grace, I can't take a breath except by the grace of God. I'm so thankful that he loves me, not because of what I do, but because of what he has done. I love the idea of grace. But to then say that grace means I can live any way I want and it doesn't matter, that's foolish, church. Because Paul the Apostle said to his, one of his disciples, Titus, he said, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. Paul says the grace that brings salvation, we are saved by grace. I totally agree. But that doesn't mean that we can live however we want because Paul says that grace teaches us. It teaches us to deny ungodliness, to live soberly, righteously, godly, not in some future heaven, but in this present age. So since that is grace's call for all of our lives, then every one of us from the new believers in the room to people that have been walking with God for 50 or 60 years, all of us need to say, Holy Spirit, show me what things in my heart 
are switching up my priorities from being your priorities to worldly priorities. Show me the things that I'm thinking on that are, that are, that are, that are filtering the, the things you want to do out of my heart. God, what's defiling me? And when the Holy Spirit puts that finger on issues in our life, again, we want to see revival. So today is the day not to make excuses. Today is the day not to blame other people. Today is the day to say, Jesus, this thing in my heart is defiling my marriage. It's defiling my friendships. It's defiling my walk with you. So today, Jesus, that thing needs to go. That thing needs to be severed in my life. These children of Israel, they made a decision to leave the bondage they were in. They made a decision to separate from the filth of the world. And then thirdly, they sought the Lord and obeyed him. They sought the Lord. Verse 21 tells us they separated from the filth of the world in order. There was a reason so they could seek the Lord. Verse 22 tells us they kept the feast, the feast that God had called them to keep. They're seeking the Lord. They're obeying the Lord. And this is the last key to revival. Yes, we must, sorry, I'm choking on myself today. We must come out of our captivity to sin and rebellion. We must sever those things that are defiling our hearts. But that's where most talk on revival stops. The pastor gets up and says, stop sinning, church. Stop sinning. Stop doing bad things. But that's only half the message. For if I just decide I'm stopping and don't do anything else, it'll be a day or two or ten, and I'll be right back in rebellion again. I've got to make a decision. Instead of seeking sin, instead of serving self and sin, it is time for me to seek the Lord. It is time to seek the Lord. It is time to go after Him. You guys know the word repentance. It means to stop, to turn, and to go in the opposite direction. And you can take that definition of repentance and use it as a biblical formula for revival. I need to come out of my captivity to sin and rebellion. I need to sever those things that defile. But if I just stop there, I'll be right back in sin again. I need a new passion in my life. Because let's be honest, we are passionate about sin. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Yes, I, you are passionate about sin. It's why you do it. If you didn't like it, you would never do it. Do you realize there's no verse in the Bible that says, do not go into your garage and hit your finger with a hammer. There's no verse that says that. Now, we understand sin is leaving God's ideal. And so, you know, I think it could be a rule. God loves you. He doesn't want you to hurt yourself. He could have put in the Bible, don't hit your finger with a hammer. But he doesn't have to because that's crazy. If any of you are thinking in your heart, I'll show God. I'm going to get home this Father's Day. I'm going to go out in the garage and get that new present I just got and whack myself on the finger. If that's what you really think, you have issues. You need to book an appointment today with one of the pastors and have lots of sessions because something's wrong with you. We love sin not because it, it hurts. I mean, we know what it does in the end. But we're passionate about it. We have, it, it brings some kind of sordid joy to our lives. And because, if we're honest, we're passionate about our sin, that's why we need a new passion. Because it takes a passion to replace a passion. That's how the human heart works. You remember middle school love? 
so deep, wasn't it? You were 13, and you were in love. She was the finest girl you had ever seen. I am in love. He was the strongest man you had ever seen. He was the only one that was over four feet tall that you knew. Oh, he was a, he was a manly man. And you thought you would be together forever because you were 13 and you were serious. But then, like most junior high relationships, they end abruptly. You got a weird haircut. Some serious reason like that. And your heart, do you remember? Your heart is broken. And some of you girls went home and told your mamas, I will never love again. My heart, my heart is so shattered. I'll never, I will never love like this again. And you believed it. You weren't faking it. You were not just being a drama queen. You really believed it. And it was true because you were passionate about that four foot five man. You were passionate. And it was true until when? Until the next dude walked into your life. Until the next dude walked by and said, hey girl. And you were like, oh! Suddenly the sun came out. Flowers began to bloom. And you were happy again. Because a new passion had arisen in your life. That's the way the human heart works. So hear me. If there's really going to be revival, yes, I have to make the decision to come out of my rebellion, my captivity to sin. Yes, I need to make a decision to sever those things that defile in my heart. But if I stop there, it won't be complete. I must make a decision. It is time for me to be passionate about Jesus Christ again. I have been passionate about sin. It is time for me to be passionate about him again. What does that look like, Pastor Jason? Well, in verse 21, they use the word seek there. It's the Hebrew word derash. And it means to pursue, to ask of in prayer and worship, to rest or lean upon. I make a decision. It is time for me to seek you, to inquire of you, to lean upon you with all that I am. You know, sometimes people that mock Christianity, they say, well, you Christians, Jesus is just your crutch. He's just your crutch. He's just a religious crutch. When I hear people say that, I say, amen. Amen, he's my crutch, my hospital bed, my ambulance, my doctor, my personal injury attorney. He's my everything, I don't deny that Jesus is what I lean upon. The better question is what are you leaning on? Because every one of us has something we lean on. Some lean on a bottle. Some lean on, on their own ability to get things done. Some lean on their money. Some lean on pills. What are you leaning on? Because we all lean on something. But here is the thing about our Jesus. We are leaning on someone who will never let us down. Isn't that good? He will never let us down. I didn't say he'd always do the things the way you want. He lets me down all the time. I pray for this, he does this. I want him to go this way, he does this instead. Well, welcome to the club, friends. 
you are not God, and thank the Lord for that. I'm not God, you're not God, but we have a God, and he is all wise, and his ways are higher than our ways. When are we going to start trusting he knows best? And we lean upon him. We lean upon him as we open up his word. And as we read it, we let it read us. And just get out the things of our heart that need to go. But we lean upon him as we come to this place and we lift up our hands and we remember, I am not the king of my own universe. I have a king and he is good and I wanna trust you. I lean upon him as I go to him to prayer and say, God, I know there's a way you want me to deal with these issues. I know there's, there, there's directions you want me to take. I worship and the Holy Spirit begins to direct. You see, I want revival. And so we seek him that we might obey him and follow what he's called us to do. Now, final question today before we go our way. And that is, okay, you've talked a lot about revival but why would I ever want that? I mean, as you said earlier, I do kind of like my sin. So I really don't want to sever it. I, I kind of don't want a new passion in my life. Why would I really want revival? Well, look at verse 22. Look what happened in their lives as revival came. Verse 22 says, and they kept the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with joy for the Lord made them joyful and turn the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Why do you want revival? Because revival is one of the only true paths to joy in your life. You see, we think, we think, because the enemy has lied to us, that this sin and rebellion we want to do this sin and rebellion we're still in bondage to, that it will bring joy in our lives. But can I ask you, how is it working out for you? Oh, I know it brings joy in the moment. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but that's the rub, isn't it? It's just a season. Then comes guilt, then comes depression, then comes this self-loathing because sin is what eats away at you and all your relationships. What you really want is true and lasting joy. And Christians, it is not found in sin. It is not found in revival. It is found in obedience and surrender. Or in other words, it is found in revival. What you are looking for in your life comes as you choose to leave captivity of sin and rebellion and sever those things which are defiling and say, God, I want to be passionate about you again. The result will be joy in your life, church. Joy. But that's not it. Then we see also, not only were they filled with joy because the Lord filled them with joy, but the Lord strengthened their hands to do the work. He started working behind the scenes with King Artaxerxes and all the kings of Persia. He started working behind the scenes with them so that they could do what God had called them to do. You see, again, I think because we talk about revival in such non-biblical terms, come out and hear the special music. Come out and hear the special speaker. We use the word special so often, we get into our heads that revival is something for special Christians. 
only on special occasions and that it's not meant to be a common reality in our lives. I am here today because I believe God wanted to tell you that is not true. Revival defined by coming out of our captivity to sin and rebellion, letting the Holy Spirit identify things that are defiling us and severing our relationship with those things and becoming passionate about Jesus Christ again. That is not something special that God wants to happen once or twice in your life. That needs to be a common reality for all of us all the time that I'm always coming out of rebellion, letting the Holy Spirit identify things that need to be severed and saying, God, I want to be more passionate about you when I lay my head on the pillow than I was when I woke up this morning. That is supposed to be the common Christian experience. And if we ever hope to do what God has called us to do, it has to be. I mean, let's be honest, it's Father's Day. It's hard to be a godly dad. The world's pulling you this direction. The flesh is pulling you this direction. And everywhere you look, and most examples we have in our lives are not that of being a godly man and leading your family. But you want to be a godly father. Well, then you must experience revival. You must experience the Holy Spirit empowering your life because you will never be able to be the godly dad without that. You just won't. Being a godly dad is hard. And I know it's Father's Day, but let me include you moms. Being a godly mom is hard. And we think being a a godly dad is hard. We should try your job for a while. It's difficult to be a godly mom. You will never be the godly mom God wants you to be apart from revival in your life continually. Apart from the Holy Spirit and God's word in your life continually. Why are you talking to dads and moms? I'm a single person. Well, you... You will never be the young person God is calling you to be. This world is dead set on ripping you off. So you need revival in your life all the time. All the time as the enemy comes in and starts to put those old chains on again, saying, I am choosing to come out of my captivity I am choosing to let the Holy Spirit identify things in my life that need to be severed from, and I am choosing today. Today is the day to be passionate about you, Jesus, again. May God bring about, not man's version of revival, but real, biblical, Holy Spirit-inspired revival in our lives every single day. Amen? Amen. Amen.